Good morning, everyone. Our first reading uh, from Amos talks about uh, injustice, certainly uh, two types. Uh, one, um, what he's saying is that uh, you go into the temple and you can't wait for the Sabbath to be over so you can get back to your business. And he said, and your business is that of cheating people, adjusting scales, uh, it would be the same. How would we understand it? Oh, my goodness. The hurricane came. The bottled water that was a dollar is now $5. And this is what he's dealing with. And he's saying, you go and you give God glory with your mouths. But as soon as the Sabbath is over, you go outside and you're back to your ways. The same is coming into this temple, this house of God. Oh, we can't wait for Father Mark to shut up with this homily. Let me get back outside. To do what? To gossip? To tear down? I'm always amazed that sometimes right after Mass, after receiving the Eucharist, people come and attack me verbally. Right after Mass. All I do is pray for my heart. Have peace. And speaking of peace, our second reading, God desires the salvation of all people, all people. And Paul says, I need you praying for the kings and everything else. Translation 2019, I need you praying for all the government leaders, all those elected, all of them. I don't like that one. Don't matter. You pray for them. Everybody needs prayer. All of them need prayer. And what are we praying for? Peace. Because you hear what Paul said? Pray for them so that the community may have some peace <laughs> and live in tranquility. And knowing that 2020 is coming, I, I'm already bracing for all. Okay, everyone, pray, have peace. Before I go into the, the deepness of the homily, there are two things we need to discuss. Jesus' terminologies that he's using. The first is the steward. The steward here we go, 2019, who would that be? It would be a general manager. It would be the general manager who's also in control of the books, a bookkeeper. What is he doing? He controls everything, and it's called master. He controls everything for the CEO. The CEO's off somewhere in the Bahamas or wherever, enjoying their money. But this person's in charge. Now, there's a law in Deuteronomy. You, cannot, you, can, char you can have a loan, but you cannot charge interest on that loan to a fellow Israelite. To a foreigner, yes. <laughs> but not to the Israelite. So how did the steward get around that? He wrote out a loan for the face value. What did they get a loan for? Well, they had to buy seed. They had to buy horses. They, you know, they're an agrarian community. So the landowner, he owns it. Uh, and then uh, he wants them to work on it. And they need money to buy the things they need. You see what he, and so they're always going to be trapped. Because they could not charge interest, the general manager writes a second IOU for the interest. He skirts the law. This second one, the owner of the land, can't really track. He can track the first one. But he doesn't, because that's not supposed to be happening, right? You see? So this is... Uh, and I agree with the Bible scholars, this is what he's doing. Sometimes we thought he was more like a car salesman and he got a commission, he was giving up his commission. Um, you know, no, 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 he's, um, no, Jesus is very clear. He was, 
you know, doing not, not nice things. And so he's messing with that second IOU. That's why he's how much, uh, and everyone knows. So this is what's happening. Now Jesus uses the word mammon. Mammon in Aramaic loosely means to worship money, to worship even a thing. Um, mammon was also the name of the Syrian god. You see, they know this, but I suspect you didn't. So in order for you to understand everything that's going on, here we are. When they were in the exodus in the desert, they tried to build a golden calf. Guess what the name of the calf is likely? Mammon. You see, they understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is using it to put forth a teaching to his followers about idols. Not just about money, but yes, but about idol worship. Friends, many, many Christians uh, seem very confused about what the Bible puts forth about money and wealth. It has been said that the Bible condemns money uh, as the root of all evil. But actually, uh, that is not what it says. What it says is different. It comes from 1 Timothy 6.10, St. Paul. The love of money is the root of all evils. Do you understand? That is different. In context, St. Paul is counseling Timothy on how to deal with the wealthier members of his Christian community. He's saying Christians are not to lord over others their money and the influence that that money can exert. And he's telling them uh, not to love it so much that it becomes a God in their hearts to which God must compete with. Paul tells Timothy that some people in their desire for money have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. 1 Timothy 6.10 Money is neutral. It is simply a medium that we use um, to conduct business, to pay for goods and services. Money can be good or bad depending on how we acquire it, what we do with it, or perhaps even better, what does it do to us? For example, recall the parable of Jesus, the Good Samaritan. This was a very wealthy man who used his money to help someone who had been hurt. Next week, you'll hear another story, another parable about poor Lazarus. We are told about a very rich man uh, who would not help him. He was outside the gates. That man did not use his money for good, did he? Then we have this example of the widow's might. That'll come up later on. A woman who had really the equivalent of a dime. That's all she had. But she did not worship it. She did not cling to it. All she had was that 10 cents. And she put it into the collection at the temple. And she trusted God. She worshiped God. God will help me. And she let go of it. And this is what Jesus is getting at. The my friends, the gospel does not uh, condemn money or the rich or wealth. But it warns of the ease of which money can turn someone's head and enslave their hearts. Money indeed is a very serious matter. And what money can do is a serious matter. And countries have gone to war over it. The love of money 
the great desiring of it or the craving of it is the problem. That is mammon. And many folks have clearly made money the god of their choice. It has compromised people in the secular world. It has compromised people in the church. And it has clouded the better instincts of whole nations. It is, if you will, a very old god that wanders the streets searching for its new worshipers. Christ gave us the principle by which to deal with money and to deal with wealth. He told us, trust God's providence. Make him first. If we do this, all other things in life, including money, will fall into its proper place. The key is found in these words by Jesus, found in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Now, you know my sense of humor. They will be given you, but Jesus doesn't say when. <laughs> That's the hard part, right? Regarding the parable of the dishonest steward in the parable Jesus used, our Lord did not praise his dishonesty or his duplicity or his deception. Rather, Jesus praises him for his ability to apprise the situation. Remember, he said, what am I going to do? I know what I will do. In his acuity and coming up with a solution, and he did not waver from that solution, I know what I'm going to do. He made a plan, and he executed it and fulfilled it. That's what Jesus is talking about. If his followers possess similar discipline and dedication and determination in their service of the kingdom of God, Jesus suggests that they could do great things for God. That's why he said the children of this world deal with their things more prudently than the children of light do. Jesus' followers should put in the same type of time and effort and determination for their spiritual well-being as the dishonest steward put toward his physical welfare. Jesus used the example of the steward in the parable because it was relevant, and it still is. But uh, to drive home the point, let me use something that may be, because last night people were laughing, and they laughed because they understood. But the first one, and people understood and took seriously the other two examples they laughed at, but... If a child becomes ill, seriously, um, the parent will rush that child to the hospital, to the ER, and without delay, and will not count the cost of that. But if that child was endangering their spiritual life by whatever the activity is, if it's the Internet thing, if it's movies, if it's the gaming thing, whatever it is that's uh, destroying them spiritually, Often, a parent is slow in taking decisive action against it. See what I'm getting at? What about your car? This is the one people laughed at. Your car breaks down, off you go to the garage with it. Immediately. If your TV stops working, 
you will be at Costco when the doors open. <laughs> lest your children drive you crazy because there is no TV, and even worse, lest you miss the football game on Sunday. But if your spiritual life is slipping and sliding and straying, how often does one show similar solicitude and concern for it? This is the point that Jesus is making. In fact, many frequently exhibit greater concern over material things and nonsensical matters than about spiritual welfare. If you were heading to financial bankruptcy, you would have a plan. But what about spiritual bankruptcy? What about it? The parable bids us to take care of our spiritual side of life. It calls for the same, if not more, ingenuity, planning, and effort in our spiritual life as we do in all the other sectors of your life. Our Lord and our soul is more important than all these things. And for sure, Jesus was talking about material things, but uh, when he is towards the end of the reading, he is talking about the things, the spiritual things. He is talking about salvation that God gives you that was not yours. And if you do not handle that properly, how will he trust you with anything else? 